So I think most of us often, oftentimes, or maybe I'll just speak for myself, we read the Bible and we struggle to connect with its stories. Sometimes we, we marvel at uh, Jesus' miraculous healings or the profound parables that he tells or the ancient, like the ancient world that he and his disciples trod. But every once in a while, a story just totally connects. Like we've actually been there. We actually felt that. We know what it's like to be inside the story. So growing up in Daytona Beach, Florida, which is this long, narrow peninsula, reminder uh, of elementary school, a peninsula has water on three sides. It's not quite an island, right? I had just such an encounter as is told in John 6. This is basically my life verse, okay? I'll spoil the story a little bit so that you're not mad at me later, and Jesus didn't come walking on water to me. Um, but besides that, it was exactly the same. So on a normal spring break afternoon, a teenage version of myself took my early college northern land-loving cousin on our jet ski in the intercoastal waterway of the Halifax River. And did we ever shred, like for hours, right? <laughs> Maybe some of you have had this experience. No? Okay. I, I think Will has, yeah. He, he's, he's who I look at when I talk about shredding, right? <laughs> for hours we like worked up and down the channel between the Seabreeze Bridge and the Granada Bridge. We're jumping wakes and disturbing fishermen, basically living the best life, right? And I, I was really coming off awesome in this. I was like the cool Floridian cousin with access to a jet ski to my older like college cousin who I looked up to. And then almost simultaneously, we broke down. I come to find out later that it had something to do with gasoline or something. <laughs> in the, and we broke down in the middle of the channel, not where you want to be like stationary and idle while large watercraft makes its way at you. Simultaneously, we broke down and a storm started to roll in. This isn't a rare spring or summer thing on the Florida coast. Like storms go as quickly as they come. But this one was like really dark, definitely electrical, and we're definitely floating in brackish water. Not where you want to be when that happens. So like our story, it was getting dark, the wind was picking up. The water was starting to get choppy. I won't quite say that we were driven out by that wind three to four miles because the Halifax River is about 600 meters across, right? But we were definitely in the middle of the channel. It's very swimmable, maybe sometimes even walkable across this channel. But, but we were stuck and we were scared. Even though my dad's business and an actual jet ski rental and repair place were like in sight, we could see the signs, like that's how close we were. We, were. we were terrified. At the time, those things didn't seem like our salvation. They seemed more like the latest way for us to become like this tragic Florida man story of like two guys drowning like in sight of a jet ski repair place, right? And needless to say, my Pennsylvanian cousin's hysterics didn't help matters. 
not a strong swimmer. <laughs> we were authentically terrified. As much by the storm or by getting hit by another boat or somehow losing hold of the jet ski as actually drowning. All of these things are going through our mind as they flash through when you're kind of in crisis mode. So I'm here today. Obviously, the story ended less dramatically than where it was headed. This kind man in a boat came and towed us to the shore, and we were cold and dripping and kind of shook up, but we were relieved when we walked, in, walked into my dad's office to tell about our adventure. And most of you know Ned. Ned, raise your hand. Ned, Ned thought it was hilarious, <laughs> more than harrowing. So in our passage today, we likewise find the disciples out on the water, and they are without Jesus. This passage from John's Gospel immediately follows the feeding of the 5,000 that Sarah preached through last week. This beautiful story of abundance. One might wonder, what in the world were the disciples doing? What were they thinking? That they'd go ahead, that they'd go without Jesus. We're not told their reason, but we're told Jesus' reason. You see, apparently it says Jesus understood that they were about to come and force him to be their king, so he took refuge again and went up on a high mountain. Jesus didn't want to be that sort of king. Jesus would rather be alone than be some sort of vending machine messiah or like a violently forceful revolutionary that they were all looking for. Jesus would rather like torpedo his own candidacy than apply for the wrong job. So he retreats, he takes refuge, he goes up on the mountain, and they move on. The disciples board this sea craft, I guess hoping that Jesus would somehow catch up with them. I don't, I don't really know how that works, if he had like a little like canoe or something that he was going to meet them on the other side. But I find this a curious logic for them. Curious and like maybe as curious and scurrilous as like two teenage guys having access to a jet ski, right? Needless to say, it doesn't take long for them to get out of their depth, literally and figuratively. I wonder if this story resonates with any of us. Like, at times that we've, we've walked with Jesus pretty closely, that Jesus has d done something huge in our life or in the life of someone uh, close to us, that we rely on Jesus pretty deeply for sustenance. Jesus had just fed not, not just 5,000 5, plus. <laughs> and then we come out of that season immediately forgetful and out of step. Forget what it's like to be reliant on Jesus. Uh, a few weeks ago we had uh, Kate Bowler and Bob Crawford here for this conversation about her book, about their own struggles with cancer, Kate with her own and Bob's with his daughter Hallie, and they each spoke of this, of like the absurdity of how at their deepest and most awful times of suffering it brought them so close to Jesus and so relying on Jesus and then and, and you know they, they felt the presence of the spirit and then they kind of got an answer to prayer like like at least a stay or an abatement or maybe some healing or some rest and then they felt themselves drift and they could they, they, they both talked about wanting to kind of be back in that mode of desperation because it's when they could most 
we most powerfully feel Christ's presence. Even as they got to some extent what they hoped and prayed for, they spoke of how they wanted that feeling back. How they wanted that intimacy, that nearness, that reliance, that immediacy. I think this is the key to the freedom many uh, feel through programs like Al-Anon, where you come in a state of utter surrender, and then if you're doing it right, while your health, while your circumstances may change, your mindset shouldn't. Because they'll tell you, you never graduate from being an addict who needs help. You never graduate from being desperate and in need. You also never graduate from having access to Christ's presence with us. I think that's the key difference at the start of this story between the disciples and Jesus. While the disciples seem content to float along with the momentum of just happen in that field with that boy's lunchbox, Jesus retreats. Jesus denies the spotlight. Jesus continues to seek intimacy with the Father. And then things get pretty bad for the disciples. A lot worse than they got for me and my cousin. I'll call him Adam, which is his real name. Uh, it was late, we're told. It was dark. It was rough. It was windy. And they were far. And they didn't have Jesus with them. So Jesus meets them. In all their lateness, darkness, rough seas, and high winds, way out, three to four miles out. Maybe you've been deep in this kind of darkness, so deep that you can't even see the shore anymore. Maybe you're there now. Maybe you're so tired of paddling against this wind that you're just tired and you're just about to give up. You've stopped reaching out. You've stopped rowing. You're ready to just rest, ready to let the storm pull you under. Instead, Jesus comes to them. He comes to you and he comes to me. Not in a boat, but walking on top of the water. We might hear the words of Isaiah 41, which we sang earlier in How Firm a Foundation. Do not fear, I'm with you. Don't be dismayed, for I am your God, and I'll, be, I'll strengthen you, I'll help you, I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. But here's the thing, here's why it's considered a sign and not just some pure miracle. Because as impressive as all of this is, as scholars and scientists debate back and forth about how feasible it is for the, there to be the kind of surface tension for an, an adult 30-something Middle Eastern man to walk on top of the water, what we're supposed to be seeing and what's supposed to impress us and be impressed upon us is that Jesus is not doing cool tricks. Jesus is doing God things. Jesus is doing God things. If Jesus was frustrated that his previous sign was being misinterpreted, he decides to interpret this one for himself. He says, I am. Do not be afraid. So much packed into these four Greek words. This isn't a simple, here I am, guys. This is the embodiment of the God of Moses who met God at a burning bush 
and asked him what his name was. And God said, I am who I am. Say to the Israelites, I am has sent you. This would be the name that God's people knew, but they wouldn't even say. They'd, they'd just pronounce it as Lord because they knew that's, that's who they should be to this God that subjects servants. It seems that Jesus was already starting to tinker with this big reveal as he encountered the Samaritan woman at the well. She says, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called the Christ. When he comes, he'll teach us everything. And Jesus says to her, I am the one who speaks to you. And then afterwards, this divine identity starts to creatively explode. Jesus is kind of rhyming it in all these different ways. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the sheep gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the true vine. Abide in me. I am. And if that's not enough, consider the, the words of Psalm 77. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and reeled. Even the deep depths shook. The clouds poured water. The skies cracked thunder. Your arrows were flying all around. The crash of your thunder was the swirling storm. Lightning lit up the whole world. The earth shook and quaked. Your way went right through the sea. Your pathways went right through the mighty waters, but your footprints left no trace. Notice the subject of that. God, the waters saw you, God. There even seems to be a good reason why the feeding of the 5,000 last week, uh, the 5,000 plus, and this sign, Jesus walking on water, are paired together. Think about uh, Psalm 107. The first part of Psalm 107, uh, verses 4 through 9. I, I think we have that on the slide, Matt. It says, Some of the redeemed had wandered into the desert, into the wasteland. They couldn't find their way to a city or town. They were hungry and thirsty. Their lives were slipping away. So they cried out to the Lord in their dis distress, and God delivered them from their desperate circumstances. God led them straight to human habitation. Let them thank the Lord for his faithful love, his wondrous works for all people, because God satisfied the one who was parched with thirst, and he filled up the hungry with good things. And then later on, a few verses later, this is connecting. That's a, the feeding. And this is some of the redeemed had gone out, of the out to the ocean in ships, making their living on the high seas. They saw what the Lord had done. They saw his wondrous works in the depths of the sea. God spoke and stirred up the storm that brought the waves high. The waves went as high as the sky. They crashed down to the depths. The sailors' courage melted at this terrible situation. They staggered and stumbled around like they were drunk. None of their skill was of any help. So they cried out to the Lord in their distress, and God brought them out safe from their desperate circumstance. God quieted the storm to a whisper. The sea's waves were hushed, so they rejoiced because the waves had calmed down, and God led them to the harbor they were hoping for. Notice there's two things here. First, the subject and the protagonist is none other but God himself. 
So Jesus walking on water is a sign. It's like a neon flashing sign, not of someone who possesses divine powers, but someone who is God, the one who they've been waiting for to come feed them in their hunger, to come save them in their anxious, desperate straits. God is doing what God had done for God's people in the Exodus, taking them out of slavery to the promised land and on the way feeding them. They're in the presence of God. And then notice the second thing that that at the end of Psalm 107, it talks about God calming the storm and quieting. And that's that's a picture we get in Matthew and in Mark, that that they're brought out, that, that their dire situation is somehow healed and fixed. That's not the picture that we get in John. It says that Jesus came to them and brought them to their desired destination. It says that they tried to even pull Jesus into the boat with them as if that was the safer place to be than walking on the water. And then the story ends with their safety. In some ways, uh, that's a less satisfying picture for us because we, I think, often call on and want to rely on a God who we can expect to have the kind of authority and power to calm the sea, to, to pull us out of the pit, to get rid of our situations and the calm and still storms. And I don't think those are bad prayers, but John gives us an even fuller picture of a God who walks upon the water with authority over the water, but right into the storm to meet us right there. Not not to take us out of the storm or to get rid of the storm, but to go through the storm with us and to deliver us on the other side. I think that's that's the good news, and, and that's that's another sign and pointer to the cross that that will that we're in the season of of looking forward to, and that's that on Good Friday we'll we'll tell that story and gather at this table around this cross that that Jesus did not save us, that God did not send Jesus to save us by by pulling us out, but by entering in and, and being with us being in it with us and pulling us through that into a, our destination, into a new creation, into a life that is eternal and everlasting and, and withstanding of all of these storms and all of these trials and all of these fiercely awful, threatening things. That God walks in Jesus on the water and through the storm. I invite you guys um, to pray with me, and then uh, we'll have a time to reflect on this. Uh, Pray with me. Uh, Father, I I think of some of of the ways the other Gospels tell this story. I think of how Matthew uh, talks about the feeding and how the disciples get so hung up on the fact that they forgot bread, that they forget who feeds them and who is their bread. And you say, oh, you have little faith. Haven't you noticed that I'm the one that feeds you? I think about in that same gospel, the ways that you call Peter, and in calling Peter, you call us out on the water to meet you, to walk 
and you keep our eyes on you, and then we take our eyes off you, and we start to sink, and you say, oh, Peter, don't you know that you just needed to keep your eyes on me? Oh, you have little faith. Lord, give us uh, the kind of faith that relies on you, that recognizes you um, not as, as, as just uh, someone that can help us, but as the God who made this world and is remaking this world. Help us call on you in the storm. Uh, call on you um, because you've chosen to suffer with us. You've chosen um, to put yourself at risk and in the middle of suffering, sin, and death that you might take us through it. Lord, let us be those sorts of folks made in, into your image, remade into the image of Christ, that that might be our, our style, our, our mode of ministry to this world, ambassadors of your reconciliation, people that go into suffering and hurt in your name and act as your presence, as your body. Let's get proximate to pain and suffering that we might understand it and begin to unravel it in your name. We thank you for these signs that point to you. Continue by your spirit to point us to you this week.